Well, thanks again for listening to the Park Hills podcast. You can find all the information about Park Hills that you need at parkhillschurch.com or the Park Hills Church app on all the app stores. So a nice light topic today. Yeah, it's an easy one. <laughs> yeah, we'll breeze, so, <laughs> breeze right through it. <laughs> so we preached, you know, about uh, the church first. First Corinthians twelve through fourteen, which really incorporates First Corinthians eleven through fourteen, and even into fifteen. But we're going to focus more on twelve through fourteen. And there are so many things in the, the these couple of verses that we can't possibly cover in a sermon. Are you going to suggest that we can satisfy them in this podcast? No. Okay. All right. I will also make that promise that you will not leave satisfied. I just wanted to see how high the bar was going to be set with this podcast. It is quite low. As I mentioned a number of times in the podcast, folks, these are thousand-year-long conversations that you can find thousands, if not tens of thousands of pages in books that are describing how to feel about these things, and all of them are slightly differentiated or, or arguing from the text. Are you suggesting that scholars have not come to an agreement on this? I'm not only suggesting that scholars have not come <laughs> to an agreement on this, but simpletons like ourselves are not going to accomplish what scholars cannot, is what I'm trying to say. <laughs> so there, there are so many days where I feel, why am you I You heard it here. Why he am called I even, himself a simpleton. I am a simpleton. Why am I even venturing into this? I, I like... Burgers and milkshakes. No, I was kidding. So, <laughs> simpleton. <laughs> just offended all the burger the simpleton milkshake. Simpleton diet. You all the burger and milkshake peoples out there just got really offended, so that's good. You did. You 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 offended a whole people's group. Yeah, you're such a dork. <laughs> all right. That so came here from go. an earlier discussion. Don't worry about it. We understand the, plural, the proper plurality there. Yeah, and if you feel like you uh, don't know what we're talking about, join the club. So, 1 Corinthians 12 through 14, talking about church, church polity, church structure. Paul's trying to help everybody understand. And a really simple little phrase gets thrown out here. Paul says in verse 4 of chapter 12, Now there are a variety of gifts, but the same Spirit. And we think, oh, gifts, this is great. Mm -hmm. And there are a variety of activities, but it is the same God who empowers them all and everyone. Then it goes on to say this. For to one is given through the Spirit the utterance of wisdom, to another the utterance of knowledge according to the same Spirit, to another faith by the same Spirit, to another gifts of healing by the one Spirit, to another the working of miracles, to another prophecy, to another the ability to distinguish between spirits, and to another various kinds of tongues, and to another interpretation of tongues. All these are empowered by one and the same Spirit, who apportions to each one individually as he wills. And there is no shortage of controversy in those few words, is there not? No, there is not. Uh, you know, it's fascinating to think through the list and and consider these. And then it, it, the very common question then comes, what's mine? How do I know sure. what mine is? And, you know, the there's been various spiritual gift tests that have been made. And I think those do work to those to finding some of those answers along the way. But it's interesting, and you go, okay, well, what does it look like to have the gift of faith or gift of healing? 
am I healing people? And with that creates a whole kinds of discussion about what he, the healers, the faith healers that are out there. And sure. Then, and then finding out that so much of that is fraudulent and, and uh, set up and, you know, it's built on, oh, as long as you send in more money, you'll, you know, so. Yeah. It, this is a big, big topic that creates a lot of controversy. It does. And, and I think it's important for us to notice that the, this list is not all encompassing. So we have all the way back in the book of Exodus, even it says, I will give them some of my spirit so that they can build the tabernacle. So there's a craftsmanship. Yeah handiwork thing that's going on in Exodus that's clearly from the Holy Spirit. He says, I'm going to give of my spirit to allow this to happen. We've got other lists. Well, there's one. There's some in, in Peter. There's a couple more just kind of sprinkled throughout the New Testament in various places. So the first thing that we need to know is this is not the the list. You know, the, right. we've got a number of gifts. You know, this isn't mentioned in administration, but Ephesians does. Uh, this doesn't mention hospitality, but First Peter does. Uh, this there's a number of different things that are used of the Spirit to benefit the church, and that's ultimately the purpose of these gifts in the Holy Spirit is that the church would be built up, established, empowered, given the ability to accomplish what God intends the church to accomplish. Yeah, and they're to work together. And, and yes. yeah, the sometimes we've gotten into the discussion, you know, if I've been given a particular ability, is that ability and a gift? Uh, is that a spiritual gift? And and then you have to go back up and go, okay, what are the things that you had the capacity to do prior to even coming sure. to faith? And that can, that can be kind of one of those that di- differentiates that as well. And certainly we can find people that seem to have the gift of mercy who are not even believers. Sure. You look at people who work in the healthcare industry or, or working with people with certain uh, disabilities or whatever. And you go, these are amazing people. They seem like they have the gifts, gift of helps or mercy. And yet you see something different in it when, when faith is involved. Yes. And so those aren't spirit empowered gifts, but God made humans really interestingly unique and, able to do things that yeah. are amazing. You know, not every teacher has the gift of teaching from the Holy Spirit. Yep. Also, not all teachers are good teachers. That's another, yeah, you know, that's, that's another thing to consider. But we've had this discussion often. You're, you're right. Uh, you know, is every translator at the UN someone who has the gift of tongues? Well, clearly no, because right. most of them aren't believers. They aren't following Jesus. So Paul cl- clearly here is saying, if you are following Jesus, you've been given his spirit. And by being given Jesus' spirit, the, the spirit, what we call the Holy Spirit, right? God's spirit, this this idea, the, the Holy Spirit lives inside of you, is tabernacling within you. And now that that spirit lives in you and amongst you, you are empowered by him to accomplish things that build up the church mm-hmm. and, and, and help other believers grow and develop and, and be established in the faith. And so every one of these things has a purpose and a plan and a, and a and potential for the church to grow and develop. Clearly, as we just read the list, a few of these are very controversial, right? Mm-hmm. So yeah. we call these sign gifts. This is usually where the discussion goes. There are very few discussions on the Holy Spirit that I have don't lead eventually to the sign gifts. You know, people kind of sit back in their chair and go, what do you think about these? And so here's the ones that are most controversial, right? Miracles, healing, tongues, and the interpretation of tongues, those two go together, and the gift of prophecy. 
And so the question that some people have, we, we call them cessationists, they believe that you can make a really good case, and, and, and I might debate whether it's a really good case, but it is a case that you can make from Scripture that, mm-hmm. that the, the gifts that were given to the church in this regard, these miraculous sign gifts, have a, a goal of establishing and they're almost performative in nature that they... Verifying. Yeah, they show people, yep, we're from a different version, a different religion. We're gifted by the Spirit to do these things. And you can find that in portions of church history, especially here at the beginning of the church, it seems more commonplace for these gifts to be utilized to establish the church in a city like Corinth or in a city like Ephesus. Mm-hmm. And the cessationists would say, well, they don't exist at all anymore. The first century church needed them. They don't need them anymore. There's some debate on that because, for example, the gift of prophecy alone has two purposes throughout Scripture. One is actually foretelling, right, this ability yep. to see the future. God gives some kind of vision or revelation, right, apocalypse, some kind of view of, like, what's going to happen and the prophet then is supposed to say it, you know, it's going to flood, you know, yeah. or uh, this is going to be done to you, or, you know, the dogs will lick up your blood. Uh, you know, that's a fun one. Jeze- yeah. Jezebel, yeah. right? Poor Jezebel. Yeah, she's, ah, she had it coming. She's good. <laughs> she's, I was about to say, yeah, poor Jezebel. And then I was like, no, no. She, she didn't have it coming. But prophecy is is foretelling. So it's looking at the future and being able to proclaim that publicly. But the other side of prophecy is very basic, and you and I do it yeah. every week. Forth telling. It's yeah. it's saying here's what God's word says, and then we proclaim that in front of yeah, the people. Proclamation of truth. Yeah. Th- that is whether we want to call it the gift of teaching or the gift of whatever. But really, that's that's the truest sense of prophecy. You know, if you look at Isaiah, what Isaiah is doing as he as he prophesies, often he's just pulling from things that you knew from the Torah, right? I mean, so often he, the the tropes and the ideas he's using, it's like listening to someone who's meditated on Genesis for thirty years. And now is saying, here's why you're going to be judged because yeah. you're not doing this, this, or this. And then God is just fulfilling what he's already said. And really what Isaiah is saying isn't sometimes something new or fancy. It's yeah. just saying, it's God already said this and we're doing it. Mm-hmm. And that's what forthtelling is. And in that sense, that's still happening all the time, right? Yep. Yeah, I, I would, especially in my earlier years of ministry, and it's still a little bit there now, I, I, I would have leaned more toward being a cessationist and it really just comes out of Paul's own words right in in 1 Corinthians 13 in, sure. in the middle of the introduction of these and then and then the whole discussion about how orderly worship is to go. And, and he just says, love never fails. Where there are prophecies, they will cease, and where there are tongues, they will be stilled. And that, that's one way to look at that, that they're going to just stop. Another way is to look at it as just saying every time someone speaks, they're going to stop, and every sure. time someone speaks in tongues, they're going to stop. Sure. And he's saying love is greater. But, you know, I, I think where we see uh, some of the, the rub in, in this is where they these things are abused and we have uh, people that are going out there who are de- proclaiming that they know the future. and Or faith healers, like you mentioned. Yeah, faith healers. Uh, I heard a tragic account of, of someone who came in and was telling me about their relative who has... Uh, pretty significant issues and how this uh, this prophet came and told this person that this relative was going to be radically different and going to be moved into another uh, realm and be able to do ministry and all this sort of thing. And, and to me, God can do that. Of course he can. Um, but 
to me, this was a, a cruel thing to do yes. to a, a loving relative. And, you know, to have someone hinge their hopes then on this, you know, this word of future telling from, right. from, from the Lord as they claim. And, you know, again, was this person suspect? I don't know. It seems suspect to me, and, and I, it's not in my place to judge, except for when we see that, People are using what they claim to be these spiritual sign gifts, and they're using them for incredible profit, <laughs> you, yeah. know, you know, attaching a fee to it. Uh, I love what Chuck Swindoll said to it one time. He, he said, you know, if there are these healers, why are they not walking through St. Jude sure. and setting the children free right. and giving the glory to God, right. uh, as opposed to, you know, drawing a big author- offering and telling people why they need to have more faith and trust more, and then you know, slapping people on the forehead, knocking them over and giving right. them a, a little bit of <laughs> adrenaline high or something. Sure. If, if a prophet is in it for profit, there's yeah. probably a problem. Exactly. I like that. Exactly. So, and, and in the middle of that, so back to that passage that you just pointed out, where there are prophecies, they will cease. Where there are, you know, tongues, they will cease. There, there's a huge discussion there, and this is really where the cessationist view comes from, on the word perfect. That happens just a couple of verses later. Uh, or, or right after the, sorry, I should look down and read it as I'm thinking. Um, yeah, the very next, what, two verses later, verse Perfection 10. Comes, when yep. the perfect comes, the partial will pass away. And that's yep. really the, the debate is if, when is perfect? And, and yep. the cessationist would typically say there's no need for foretelling or even some versions of foretelling once the word of God is, is complete. Yep. So it's once the canon is done, then we can just end the discussion about sign gifts at that point because they're not as necessary because the church is established, his, yep. the canon is, is finished, meaning not canon as C-O-N-N-O-N, right? Boom, 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 but C-O-N. So C-A-N-O-N, which is just the canon of Scripture, this this right. book that we're looking at, complete. That that is complete, so therefore the perfect has come. I would debate that just a little bit and say, I think that that verse in context is talking more about heaven the one day when the perfect comes and it's complete. But with that said, I know from firsthand experience that some of the sign gifts are being used very inappropriately and wrongly all over the place in the world. So I don't hold to full-blown, let's go crazy and right. do whatever we want to do here. Yeah, nor do I. If And I know you you aren't, and you said you started your ministry kind of leaning more toward the cessationist view, and I, I think I did too. I'm just open to what the Spirit might do. Mm-hmm. If I go to Africa and the Lord decides to give me a spirit of, through his Spirit, the gift of tongues to speak to someone that I don't know their language for a period of time and they don't know English and I'm suddenly speaking Swahili, I'm not going to be like, well, that wasn't the Holy Spirit. You know, of course I'm going to know. And I have, I have friends that have gone to other countries and got yeah. lost or something, had amazing conversations with people, and then they realized they don't speak my language and I don't speak theirs once the thing was settled. And they're like, what was that? That's yeah. called the Holy Spirit. Whereas some of the things that we hear today are individual using these gifts in ways that don't honor God and aren't uplifting yeah. the church, aren't building the church, aren't, aren't, aren't establishing and, the church. Yeah. And then therefore, I would say, well, that's that's not even close to what we should be doing. So all that to say, the the gifts we, you know, you should you should know that you are in Christ, you have the Holy Spirit, you have a gift, something is beautiful happening inside of you, God's using it, it's awesome. Uh, amazing. Then chapter 13, right? This, you, you just brought that, that passage up. The whole start of it is also, we do all these things with love, right? If I have the gift of yeah. prophecy and I'm 
mysteries and knowledge are given to me. You know, I'm like a genie capable of knowing all these amazing things. And I'm just walking around being a jerk. I'm not actually honoring God. So not only do I need to honor God with my gift, but I need to do it in a loving way that honors God in that way as well, which then leads us into chapter 14, which is, right, have a very structured, complete, good way of doing the services. And if you're reading chapter 14, we get to these couple of verses that don't cause any controversy whatsoever. No, 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 no. Verse 34, and we're going to just deal with this very briefly. But the women should keep silent in churches, for they are not permitted to speak but should be in submission, as the law also says. If there is anything they desire to learn, let them ask their husbands at home, for it is shameful for a woman to speak in church. And I honestly, I don't know why this is a big deal. I don't... <laughs> yeah, I can't imagine why. I don't know why people would, would have any trouble. Yeah, that wouldn't turn anybody sideways. With but it also doesn't hold up in the text, does it? Like no. So... Right, we've got ver- chapter 11. What, what do verse 4 and 5 say there, Mark? Yeah, we've got uh, in 11.5, in or 11.4 and 5, every man who prays or prophesies with his head covered dishonors God. Every woman who prays or prophesies with her head uncovered dis- dishonors her head. It is just as though her head were shaved. Now, that's the, the head covering is a whole other discussion, too. Totally. Uh, and and needs some contextual understanding there. But We'll save that for another podcast. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Save it for somebody else. Um, but what's interesting here is it would seem, at first glance, that Paul's in contradiction to himself. Cause, which, which, cause he, which creates a problem. Because it pre- creates a problem with 14, you know, about, okay, they, 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 can't, they can't prophesy? Well, wait a minute. He just said if they do it their head uncovered is right. well, that's what's wrong so we've got an issue here don't we yeah so clearly if you're looking at 11 through 14 and like i said i would even carry it into 15 because we start talking about resurrection body in 15 paul's talking to a very broken church who has a lot of issues and he's trying to help them understand the gospel compels us to live and think this way and to be different than everybody else around us in so doing what he then makes a case for in chapter 11 is if a woman is going to prophesy or pray, she must do so in a certain manner that won't bring shame upon her. Then 12, every one of us has the spirit. Every one of us has gifts, which I would, there's nothing in there saying only men get the gift of prophecy right. or only men get the gift of teaching or only men get these. So then I would say if chapter 14 is, is to be taken just those two verses with no other context, and it says women should be silent in church and they'll learn from their husband. I'd go, well, what about a woman who, who has the gift of teaching? She clearly is allowed to teach. So you're telling her she's not supposed to be able to teach. It doesn't, it doesn't jive. If, or what if, about the single woman or the widow? Totally. And if you start just thinking about it logically, you go, oh, maybe, maybe Paul's pointing out a very specific situation here or something that's going on. And we create a ton of controversy if we just read two verses and leave them as, as they are, right? I mean, mm-hmm. I remember being an idiot high school student, and you remember those days of me being an idiot high school student, uh, where I'm scarred by that. <laughs> where we would say dumb things like this to, to girls oh, in yeah. youth group. Like they would say something and we'd be like, you're supposed to be silent. You, you know this, right? Or we'd be in a Bible study and they would ask a, a question that we would want to make fun of. And I would just be silent. It says to be silent. You know, what a jerk there, I was. There were ones that you really enjoyed saying it to more than others because they got more riled. I also hoped that they would eventually give me their number. Some of those. Anyway, but... Uh, very, very bad pickup strategy. <laughs> well, you know, it is what it is. Uh, I made out okay. So here at the end of the day, there's, <laughs> there's clearly in these couple of chapters, 
if, if it if it feels like Paul's being inconsistent, then we need to dig a little deeper. Yeah. Right. And if he's and if he's being inconsistent or seems to be inconsistent, and we back up a little bit, there are some who have said, "Okay, Paul didn't write this at all. This is this is not Paul. This is somebody else adding this in later." I don't hold to that at all. I don't think that's accurate. There's another view out there that I think is really interesting that there's a number of places in the, in, especially in Corinthians where Paul's quoting something dumb. The Corinthians are quoting and they think this might be one of those where Paul's actually saying to them, women should be silent. Why are you saying that? Because the very next verse is, or was it from you that the word of God came or was yeah. it, are you the only ones that it has reached? If anyone thinks he's a prophet or a, or spiritual, he should acknowledge that these things I'm writing to you is a command of the Lord. That seems to suggest, oh, so you're saying that, well... Was it from you? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, okay, you're the only one that has access to the truth. That could be a really interesting concept. I don't necessarily think that the text bears that one out, because often when Paul says something like that, he goes something along the lines of, as you say, or as this person says, and we're able to sort of put quotes on it and make sure that it fits. The other one is, and, and this is where I, I land, Paul clearly wrote these two verses, in my opinion, but there's a couple of even ways to look at that, right? Paul is being inconsistent, which is what we just talked about. I don't think that's the case, so that makes us push a little further. Or maybe Paul is uh, prohibiting all forms of communication in church. Well, clearly that's not true because verse right. 11, chapter 11 says that that's not the case. Or Paul is prohibiting a certain form of communication in the service, which is where I land. Uh, and I'm not going to throw this in your lap and be like, what do you think, Mark? But what what, what is your interaction on this? What do you think about well, it? Well, yeah, I mean, some of the thought would be is is this addressing the whole because he talks about asking their husbands at home is is there some sort of a situation there where women are asking a question of some other man and and yeah. as a result sort of disrespecting their own husband um it's hard to hard to say for sure and then another thought is is this about women not being the ones to interpret or or verify what's being said here it's a fascinating issue. I think it one of the key things that I think lends itself to whatever the context was that you, maybe you don't know, and that is this whole idea that everything was to be for the edification. And it's not just for that individual, it's for the edification of the church as a whole. Right. And uh, order and peace, you know, these God, these godlike traits uh, we're not in that church for whatever reason. And was it everybody wanted to be heard? Um, yeah. And everybody wanted to be heard at once. Can you imagine that kind of disorder? I, I, I remember um, a time of just holding a, a citywide prayer time and, and how um, there were some in there that just didn't want to be orderly. Right and how how much how disruptive that was to the flow of things and I really had to wrestle through that. You go know, how much of this is the spirits leading, and how much of this is me just needing to control things, needing to follow the outline and the sure. timeline. Um, but there were certain there were th things within that that were clear violations of some of these you know these things that lead to order. And so it 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 makes me think that whatever was happening here. And what he's whatever he's addressing with the women was had to do with the order and structure of things and the edification of all who are involved. So it's it's a curious passage for sure. Totally, and I think one of the things to think about also is again, this is a really messed up church, 
Mm-hmm. He doesn't make this statement to any of the other churches that we know of. Right. There are other statements such as men or husbands love your wives as Christ loved the church, and then also women submit to your husbands in these ways that starts to show us that there is an element of the household order here that, yeah. that Paul's trying to hold to. But but in Corinth specifically, it is a worship center of a female deity. Yeah. And the, the acts of worship that are happening to her in this city are pretty disgusting. Like if mm-hmm. we were today, if we were to look at what was happening in Corinth, you'd go, that is filthy and really messed up. And it demeans women at the same time of honoring a, a goddess deity. It doesn't really make sense. So it's also possible that we're in the city of Corinth. Women held themselves to a status or standard that they had the right to know what God said and they were they alone were the ones that knew what God said. So if you have a let's say you had a, a traveling pastor come in who's a male who starts speaking in this this church setting, I can imagine since women are so highly deified in Corinth, a woman standing up and be like, No, you're wrong and then everyone being like, Yeah, well she's gotta be right because she's the one. In that case, if I'm Paul, I'm writing this statement yeah. and saying that no, that person needs to be quiet. And women in general in your culture are raised to a level that isn't healthy for anybody. So they should be quiet. Yep. And if they're backing into this, you know, if, if in the middle of the pro- proclamation of God's word, whether it's prophecy or whether it's even a, you know, a message in tongues, which seems to be happening. If you look at 13, 14 mm-hmm. chapter here, um, Paul's saying, it's not your job to correct this. If you have a question, if there's something's going on, don't dishonor your husband by standing up and yelling and screaming in the middle of the service about how everybody's supposed to do this. Talk to him privately at home and let him, Teach you. Or, or imagine if if a woman knows more than her husband and she's standing up making this terrible, then that husband is just being completely demeaned and belittled. Any one of those scenarios, like the one you brought up yep. or the couple that I just did, any one of those, this these verses make sense. And you go, oh, if we're going to create an orderly service that honors God, you're not creating that by doing those yep. things. And so Paul would say no. And now we're 2,000 years removed and we read it and we go, well, why would they say this? And the only other thing I would add to this too is that women in that day especially did not go to school. They did not know how to read or write. So imagine if someone comes and says, as God's word says, and they read it out loud, and someone else is like, well, that's not true. You don't, you can't even read. Like, why? how do you yeah. know? Uh, I don't know. In fact, I'm, I'm going to say, I don't know how this totally applies to today, but at the same time, I don't know that if we just took those two verses by themselves, that that's exactly what it's saying today. I think there's other passages yeah. that make a pretty strong case as to what teaching looks like and doesn't look like that I would base the rest of that on. But if you're a woman and you've read this verse and it freaks you out a little bit, just back it down a little bit, realize there's probably something majorly cultural going on and that Paul's speaking to this church about this specific issue. And a few chapters before, he's telling women that if you're praying or prophesying, do so in a certain manner. I think we're covered. I don't think this is yeah. saying you, you aren't allowed to talk in church. So the women who come and don't say anything, you know, this thing. So ultimately, what's the point? What, what, what do you think? I, I think you always have to go back to go. Okay, how does how do we how do we play this out? And 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 really, I think you got to look at the other other um, Pauline writings and and see where this this structure is laid out. There is sort of this sequence of uh, authority and and. And the whole submission thing is very tough. It's a it's a tough one to wrestle through until you st- look at Christ, who, <laughs> though God, uh, submitted Himself to the Father. You know, he, here's here's our model, and 
And then all of a sudden, submission isn't this horrible thing. It's, you know what, if, if my Savior could do it, um, I certainly can be submissive as well. I'm submissive right. to my Savior. And, and, and really that whole, even when it looks, you look at the male-female relationship, how beautiful that is. And I love to emphasize this in weddings. Yes, it does say women or wives are submit to their husbands as a household, but then it's for men to love their wives like Christ loved the church right. and gave himself up for her, her being the church. That's whole uh, beautiful picture. So then you go back and, okay, what did Christ do for the church? And it was this wonderful do anything out of love for them to redeem them, to, to bring them to himself. And and then you, you look at that, boy, that is a high call for the man. And it's a, it's a heavy load to bear. And when you see uh, the wife, wife looking at the husband in that regard and that husband taking that role seriously, then, then there's the tension just goes away and there's this beautiful, even symbiotic relationship sure. that, that, that is, is about love. Yeah. That couldn't say it better. Like that just, that makes the whole passage make sense. So if you're in a, in a situation where your your pastor or someone else in your life is is being domineering and chauvinistic, that's not what this passage no, is asking it for. Is not. At the same time, if you are thinking that you should just be able to push God's word aside and make it say whatever you want it to say, that's not good either. And I think in passages like this, when I first read verses that freak me out a little bit, I, I'm not sure what it's saying. And I'm going to approach the text with, with humility. I'm going to approach the text saying, God's probably figured this out or something else is being said. And I'm just going to approach the text and just keep reading it and look at it and process it. Because mm-hmm. you've got individuals even in the Old Testament who are women who are prophesying and doing things. Yep. You've got Deborah, I mean, sitting by the, the tree, um, giving these great words from the Lord. So you go, God's clearly using women with these gifts throughout the whole Bible and God is establishing the church in this period of time in cities that are pretty messed up and pretty broken. I got to weigh those two things and I got to figure out how this works out and how I'm going to, you know, play it out in my, my everyday life. So we as a church do have some opinions on these things. We, I'm sure we'll talk about these someday down the road, but for now, verses like this, don't freak out, just chill a little bit, whether it's sign gifts or whether it's, you know, women being silent. Maybe just read the rest of the book, kind of process it a few times and go, oh, maybe it's not quite saying what I think it's saying. Yeah. I think it's very important, too, when we look at these these few chapters here, to even stop and ask the question, why is 1 Corinthians 13 in the middle of that? And the intro and the end of that tell you, but you know that passage. That's the love is patient, love is kind, you know, and we it's very famous for that, but you got to go back to the beginning and now I'll show you the most excellent way. If I speak in the tongues of men of and of angels, but have not love, I'm a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all the mysteries and all the knowledge, and if I have faith that can move mountains, but have not love, I'm nothing. I, I think in the midst of that, we get this wonderful discourse on love, but it's because Paul is going, people love each other. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Okay. You got spiritual gifts. Good for you. Love each other. This is not about who's better. This is not about who's in charge. This is not about who gets to speak. Love each other. And he's saying, you know what? Of these three, faith, hope, and love, the greatest of these is love. <laughs>